0: All right. Yeah, I noticed that they don't clap when I preach. So, okay. Well, we're glad to be here, and we thank the Lord for his wonderful grace to us. And thank him that the Bible says that God counts us, into, to, counts us faithful and puts us into the ministry. And someone asked to me not long ago, they said, Who does God use? And I said, God uses all Christian believers that want to be used. If you want to serve Jesus Christ, and he's waiting, he's the boss, and he's looking for people that want to serve him. And today, I mean, this morning, I would like to talk to you from the last five verses of the book of Matthew. And uh, by the way, if you wanted to find a little bit more information about Ukraine, we did uh, speak of that on the Sunday school, and I'm not sure if they recorded it or not. They probably did. And uh, you can have that, and if you can't, you can see me, we can give you uh, some information on seeing that image as well but i'd like for us to focus this morning on these last five verses of the book of matthew and it's an interesting passage for many many ways but uh we're going to skip a lot of the introduction stuff but just to say this is that jesus uh, had risen again from the grave and he appeared to a disciple several times and the scholars tell us that this is there was either 10 or 11 post-resurrection appearances and this would be the eighth of those times he appeared to people. And it's interesting to me that the first Sunday on what we would call Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared five times to people. The fifth time was to the ten disciples. Judas was already in hell. He was already gone. And uh, Thomas was not there. And, but the next week, Thomas was there. And when he saw Jesus, he said, My Lord and my God. Which, by the way, even the Jehovah's Witness Bible, even their translation calls Jesus God in that passage. And they worship Jesus Christ, just like these songs that we sang today. I really like that, how the praise team sang these songs because they focus on worshiping Jesus Christ. And they worship Him because He's God. They also were, have, had, had it very nice for three and a half years because they went to Jesus Christ Bible College. And can you imagine having him as your professor, the only person who ever taught on this planet who never makes a (laughs) mistake? And he would be a great professor. I was a professor for 25 years here in the United States before we moved to Ukraine as full-time missionaries. And I can tell you one thing, there's never been one like him. You would think that his disciples that he had trained for those years would be perfect, have halos and all that. But the truth is, they were weak Christian believers just like you and just like me. And in fact, they were so weak that he had told them 22 times, the Bible says that he's go- they're going to kill me, and I'm go- but the third day I'm going to rise again from the grave. And the Bible says they never understood that. Now, it's easy for us to look back and see all this stuff that happened in the past and say, how could they not understand that? But if we had been there, we'd probably been just like them. We have a big advantage over them today. We have the completed Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. But they did some amazing work. But what happened, what I want to focus on this morning, is what made the disciples, what were these weak uh, disciples? I mean, it just seemed like if you look through the gospel, it's just like they failed so many times. What was it that made them say, you know, I think I can do what he wants me to do? It had been prophesied about this meeting right here. In fact, early in this chapter, it talks about this specific meeting. It's not just to the eleven; he specifically mentions the eleven. But if you read up in verse ten and those other verses, which we're not going to take time to do, he talks about meeting with the brothers. He says we're going to be. It was prophesied, and he commanded these people to be here. And the, the scholars tell us it's the only place where we can coordinate 1 Corinthians 15:6, where Paul says he appeared to five hundred brothers at one time. That was going to be at this meeting up in Galilee. We don't know where it was, but they obviously all knew where it was. It's a place they met a number of times. And usually, when the Bible says something like uh, five hundred or five hundred uh, brothers, or like in John six when it says the feeding of the five thousand, the only gospel, the only miracle in all four of the gospels, in all four of the gospels it says five thousand men. But only Matthew, only Matthew adds a note besides women and children. So 500 men probably means that there were and 500 brothers, the Bible calls them, in in this chapter and also in 1 Corinthians 15. They probably had 1,000 people there, and they'll be significant in just a moment. But let's pick up at verse number 16, Matthew 28, 16. And I think there's even an outline on the back of your uh, bulletin back there if you are kind of take notes. And when I get to preaching, sometimes you may not go by the outline, but I'm going to try to go by that as much as we can. (laughs) First of all, the four actions of the disciples the very first action, verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away. Now, that may seem insignificant to us, but that's exactly what Jesus Christ had told him to do. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, the basic word, and it's going to be important to learn a little bit about this word because the basic word is the, from Greek, it comes into English, is the word M-A-T-H, math. I could ask this young boy right here, I could say him, what's your favorite school? class in school, and he would say, math, is that right? See? Paid him, a, paid him a dollar to say that. No, I didn't. OK. Actually, usually when I said that in the past, I've said that a couple of times, and the kid said, no, I hate math. <laughs> anyway, but 2,000 years ago, I mean, now the word math means to learn numbers. 2,000 years ago, the word math, math the, actually, the Greek word, there's a noun here, it's mathetes. It means to be a learner, a follower of some person's teaching. These disciples were followers of the teaching of the man Jesus Christ. And so it's very important because he's going to use that same word just a few verses later, but he's going to use it as a, ne- as a verb form, mate Tuo, and there he's going to tell us what we're supposed to be doing, and they will use that word to illustrate that. So the very first action, they obeyed Jesus, what disciples are supposed to do. They went away into this place up in Galilee, and it was into some hill, some mountain, whatever, where Jesus had appointed them. Now it's interesting that a lot of times these people did stuff that was not easy to do and not convenient to do, and when Jesus told them to do something, if they were disciples, they would try to do what he did, what he said. Try to picture in yourself, picture yourself, go back 2,000 years ago, and you're with this group, and they go up to Galilee to some big hill that you can see a long ways, and uh, this big crowd, let's say a 1,000 people, come there and try to think, let's say they're in a mob like this, but they're, but they're a long group like this, and I'm going to illustrate this in just a moment. But they come up here, and verse 17 says, the second thing they did, it says, they saw him. Now, here's clear proof What right here. It's not some spook or some uh, ghost or some imagination. He's a real person. And I like what it says next. They worshiped him. And John 20, 28, that passage I mentioned just before, Thomas said that. Number of times in the Bible, they worship Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, it says, let all the angels of God worship him. And all, so the Bible says, worship Jesus Christ because He is God. He's the God-Man. There's one God He lives, for, He exists forever in three persons: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And two thousand years ago, God the Son took on a human nature. We call the incarnation. And God lost nothing in the incarnation, but He did pick up something, and He picked up humanity. And for all eternity, Jesus Christ will be the God-Man. The last thing he promised is that when I come back again, I'm going to be coming back. And the angel said, He's going to look just like you saw him before. And he's going to come back and he's going to be the judge of all Christian believers. And also, he will be the judge of unbelievers. So they worshiped him. Now, if Ron Minton had written this Bible, the next phrase would be eliminated from the Bible because it says, But some doubted. I don't know about how you are, but I like the things to be positive. I don't like it says, When some doubted. I guess when you think about it, how many times did people pop out of the grave when you see them? Most of these people that are up here, these 1,000 people, they all are faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, but they had not seen him yet like these 11 had, and some doubted. But I think what happened is this. Now, this is just my opinion of what must have happened, because they, the Bible calls them brothers, they go all the way up there to meet Jesus Christ, they're all waiting, and suddenly Jesus comes up to them, and he appears there, and here's what I think happened. I think the first third of the people, the first half of the people, immediately fell down and worshipped him because they recognized who he is. They all believe that Jesus Christ is God. He's their Savior. They all worship him. But Jesus had said, after I go, there could be some imposters come. There can people say, here's the Christ here. Come, the Christ is over here. And he said, don't believe it unless you know it's me because I am coming back again. Don't believe that. And if you think of this, I could look at this crowd here, and everybody do an experiment just like he's doing right there. Everybody take your glasses off, all the way to the back. And how many fingers do I have up now? He said, three hands. Wow. Three hands, I only have two. I think what happened, if you realize, they all work, worship Jesus Christ. But those two-thirds people in the back, glasses wouldn't be invented for 1,000 years later. In London, they invented glasses 1,000 years ago, which is 1,000 years after this. And I think what happened, those people looked and they said, is that him? In the front, they all bowed down to worship him, but there's no other explanation why some of these people doubted. It's interesting to me, too, and I'm not going to take time to to, to turn over this because I want to get focused on this stuff just in a moment. But if we looked at the last two verses of Mark, and let's not turn there for time's sake, but in the last two verses of Mark, these same disciples, a lot of these disciples were with Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus uh, beamed out of uh, space or whatever they call it. What do they call it now? He rose there? Out of space and sometimes like these teenagers they say, beam me up and all that stuff well jesus went up into heaven and the bible says that the disciples went everywhere and proclaimed the word of god but then it says the lord working with them we say wait a minute he just went up into heaven how's he working with him because he is the god man he can he's everywhere present at one time just because he's in heaven that means he's also working with us and that's going to be very important because the next thing we're going to see, these disciples know why Jesus Christ called them there. He called them there to give them their final marching orders. They're beginning to realize he's going away and this is all going to be on us. And I can just see it right now. They're beginning to shake it a little bit in their boots. Just think if, the, if it, the, the elder came up here and says, okay, the Lord has given us a, a new idea. The pastor's not coming back and the elders are going back and all you people are going to do everything here yourself. And that's kind of like these 12 disciples. I thought, whoa, it was easy when he was here. Yes, we went out two by two. We went out 120 and all this stuff. But if we fall down, he's right there to pick us up. And now they know he's going away and they're going to be busy. And so uh, when we look at the next verse in verse 18, it's interesting to me that when Jesus came and spoke to them, he came and spake to them. That means I felt I'm sure he could speak to 20,000 people. If he spoke on the feeding of the 5,000, which was really the 20,000, and he had no microphone like I have, that means he'd have no trouble speaking to these 1,000 people. And when he came to spoke, speak to them, I'm going to tell you what happened. It's never in your life happened in your house, but it's happened this far south. I know it's happened in one of your neighbor's house. You went on a hot August evening, Sunday after church, to your neighbor's, not to your house, to your neighbor's house, or your friend from the church and to have a snack after the Sunday night service or whatever it was. And you went in and turned the light in the kitchen, and the cockroach would flood fled away. Some of you seen that in your neighbor's house. I think that's what happened. When Jesus came and spoke to them, all the doubt fled away. They fell down and worshiped him. They all acknowledged who is Jesus Christ. And it's interesting here. I would think that when Jesus would have looked at them, he would immediately say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But he didn't say that. First, he has to tell them where the power and authority is. And he said, the Bible says he came and spoke to them in verse 18, and he said, all power. And that exousia means all right, all authority. John 1, 12, the Bible says he came to his own. His own did not receive him. But, and it talks about you and me, and he said, but as many people as Receive him. He gave them the same word exousia. He gave them the right the power the authority to become children of God And there's not a person in this room that's ever been born again by any other authority on earth or heaven or anywhere else except by the authority of Jesus Christ and Jesus says you first have to know where the authority is where the power is before you can get anything done the disciples were thinking I'm going to be able to, he's, he's going to go away, and we're going to have to do this stuff on our own. He looks at them, and he says, they cannot get this done, but I can get it done through them. Now, I would think that Jesus would have sent down a band of angels to get his work done, but he, and they would not have made flaws, okay? You've never heard me, you've never heard Chris Croft, you've never heard anyone preach a perfect sermon because we're humans. And God could have sent angels, and they would have done it flawlessly, but he chose through the foolishness of preaching, to save those people who believe and get his work done. And I think the reason why the Bible says Jesus said that is because when he uses the weak to confine the strong, because he gets all the glory, none of the glory comes to humans because we don't get anything done without him. And so Jesus is going to say, all this authority is given to me in heaven and earth. We cannot even imagine in our brains how God the Father could give God the Son all the authority in the universe and Heaven and earth—that's me like where God is, where we is. It's everywhere. Our brains cannot even comprehend that, but we do know from just what we just said, even a minute ago in Matthew—I mean, in the end of uh, Mark—that this is the God of the universe. And just because He's gone, doesn't mean that He's not going to be helping us. That's what He's going to really push on these disciples next. You may have got up in some mornings, or even this morning, and some other morning when you're getting ready to go work, and you look at that guy in the mirror. And you say, you better be glad that salvation is by grace because you don't have a chance if it's not. (laughs) The truth is, every one of us should say that. And you might look at that same guy and say, if God gets anything done through you, it's definitely him doing the work. (laughs) And that's going to be true too because these disciples are scared and they are going to have some problems. But first, we're going to see what Jesus commands them to do. And it's even worse than they thought it would be. First thing he says in verse 19 when he looks at them, after he establishes who has the power and authority, Jesus looks at them and says the little word, go. And these verses 19 are kind of like, I kind of liken these unto a nine-month pregnant woman where you have so much inside that wants to come out, and every single little word in this passage is loaded with information, and God wants us to notice this, and when he says go, he gives us the force of a command. I have in my notes, and we're not going to go through this, eight other passages, Old and New Testament, where the Greek Old Testament and the Greek New Testament has this Greek construction, and there's no doubt that Christ Jesus is given an absolute command here. And he says to these people, it is not an option. You have a mandate to go. Now, it's chapter 10, verse 5, he looked at the 12, and he says, don't go. Not yet. Right now, we're only going to the Jews. And, of course, the Jews would reject him. But now he says to go, and he's going to make it clear right here, it's not to the Jew first, it's to everyone first. He's going to make it clear in this passage that now the going is to spread this word around the world. And he doesn't make any difference who's willing to do it. If you're willing to do it, he's willing to use you. If you want to be stubborn and just do your things your own way, then you're going to have to talk to him at the judgment seat of Christ. There's no negotiating that day. He's going to tell you what you did and what you failed to do. But right now, he says go, and he says ye, because God does not use the unbelievers to primarily get his work done. He uses you. He uses us Christian believers. Go you, therefore. Why would he say therefore? Because he's the one who has this power and authority, because he's worthy of us. He's worthy of our obedience, and none of us could do this stuff without him. I can just see Try to picture yourself if you're one of these 12 disciples. You know it's going to be tough. This guy expects you to do some serious business. He doesn't expect you to come here just to warm up a pew on Sunday. He expects you to get there into some business, serious stuff. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking all of us. And he says this, "'Go, therefore, because I have the power and I have the authority, and I'm worth your, And we, he's worthy of our obedience.'" And then he says, "To "'Go, therefore, and to teach or to make disciples.'" This is that same word that we talked about, is the noun, but this is the tuo, the verb. And what he literally said, unfortunately, we don't have an English word that says go and discipleize. But what he means to do is go and make disciples and spread his word around the world. And then he's going to give some ideas of how you have to do that. He's told them to go. He's, told, he's commanded them to go. He's commanded them to make disciples. And the there are several ways, things you have to do to make disciples. The very first thing you have to do, in fact, the disciple, word disciple itself is even used sometime of becoming a new believer. These, it said these Jews became disciples then and stuff like that. But what Jesus means is that you first have to go and do the work of evangelism. You might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Hey, I don't have the gift of evangelism either, but there's not a person in this room that can't give a gospel tract with this church name on honor invite your friends your neighbors your co-workers there's not a person here that can't invite someone to this church and even if you don't know how the gospel is clear enough to tell them there are leaders right here who do have and that's our mandate is to bring people here to grow this church and send even more people around the world and so Jesus looked at them and says go therefore and make these disciples but not just make disciples but he says of all nations that includes all the Gentiles, not just to the Jews. Everyone. Everyone on this planet is that's ever been born or ever will be born is made in the image of God. And then Jesus Christ paid an infinite sacrifice for sin, an infinite value sacrifice. God looked at the sacrifice of Jesus during those three hours of darkness, and the Bible says God was satisfied. He's reconciled, and we have propitiation because God is satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus, and every person is savable infinitely, because Jesus Christ sacrificed, and that's what God expects to take that around the world to all people. Now, he next says to baptize them. Once they become believers, we should baptize them. That's very interesting, because we know that water baptism does not get anybody into the kingdom. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of any act, anything that human beings can do. And it's interesting that we have, I'm not sure if you guys, you have a, there's a baptistry right here, right? It's interesting, by the way, let me just tell a, little, a quick little short story here, uh, and we're supposed to finish it, 12, 12 15, whatever. When Tanya came in May, we picked her up at the Dallas airport, and, and then a day or two later, when it was, we went to our first church, and I think it was a Sunday night, as I recall. I'm not sure, if it, Sunday morning, okay. Yeah, in Wellington, Texas, believe me, you've never heard, we we're, were only an hour and 15 minutes away, we'd never been there in our life. Never heard of the church, the pastor of the town. But they invited us, and we went there, and I told Tanya, you're going to give a little testimony and sing just like she did this morning, (laughs) somewhat like that. And we were down on the front row, and she said, Ron, what's that big square hole in the wall (laughs) behind the pastor? And I said, she said, is that for the choir? It was a little bit bigger than this one (laughs) wide, okay? And I said, that's for baptizing. And she said, oh, (laughs) okay, it's a little bit different accent. She said... Because it's interesting, because our church, the bigger church in Carnegie, where we actually met her, they had built a baptistry, but they built it outside. (laughs) Okay? It's a little bit different culture. Anyway, can you imagine? Jesus says water baptism is so important that he includes it in this great commission. The disciples are to go everywhere and evangelize people, and the process of making disciples, and the very next step is to baptize them. Hey, listen, there could be a person in this room right now who is a born-again believer in Christ. You believe in Christ Jesus for eternal life, but you have not been water baptized. If that's you, you need to see Preacher Kaffa one of these elders, and talk to them about that because you need to do that. Jesus commands that it be done right here. And I like what that next word, baptize them. The Bible teaches us that we should baptize Christian believers. And nowhere in the Bible is there any proof of any uh, baptizing people or unbelievers or babies or any of this type of thing. But I can guarantee you right now Jesus says to baptize those people who just became believers. And what's amazing to me, and this is something that the world does not like to hear today. He said baptize them in the name, and notice it's the singular name. This is the singular name of the Trinity, of the authority, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting. We could say, and I think there's enough indication in the Bible that we can format this for our human thinking, is that God the Father plans everything, Christ Jesus is the one who carried out the plan, and the Holy Spirit is the one that makes it work and enables us to carry out this, this, stuff to succeed. But think about it. Here is Jesus Christ says to, he tells his disciples to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that means that the Trinity is real. That means that Jesus Christ is the is the God of the creation, the God of the universe. And that means that he is the only way to salvation. Jesus Christ himself said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 12, I think it is, it says there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. I could go down to D.C. after all these politics they've been having, and I could tell those senators, my wife and I are going to Ukraine as missionaries, he'd give me a $100 bill, or if there's any left over after this election, (laughs) They spent, what, $9 billion on this thing? He could give me a $100 bill and say, bless you, my son, go in peace, spread this word. And I can say, we're going to tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven in the universe. What? You're so mean-spirited, bigoted, hatred, racist, and every woke and everything else you can think of. People don't care to hear the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. If you want to be a popular preacher, go ahead and preach something different. Jesus Christ himself said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If the whole world loves you, then you're doing something wrong. That doesn't mean we try to get people to hate us. No, we tell the truth. We try to get people to love us. We should try to get people to like us. But the truth is, when they hear the truth, they are not going to fall in love with you. Because they hated him, they're going to hate you. Now, the good thing is they're probably not going to crucify you like they did him. But can you imagine when Jesus was telling his disciples this, just like he's telling it to us right now. Can you imagine what they were thinking? They're thinking, wow, this is going to be 20 times harder than we thought. He wants us not only to go all over the world and make disciples, win these people to Christ, and baptize them and teach them and all this stuff. In fact, the very next thing he says in verse 20, if you take a look at that, there he uses the word teaching, but it's a different word. There he uses the word, this is the word, uh, the, the verb form of didaskalia, which means teaching or have Doctrine. He says to doctrinally indoctrinate them, teach them what the Bible says, and that is very, very important. I'd, my guess is that even in this church, when you have, you probably have a new believers class or some way to get education for new people. It's very important when people become born again to get water baptized and also to get Bible teaching and training. The Mormons brag in the United States and even in Ukraine. I've heard this: is that the uh, evangelical Christians, the Baptists, and these type of people are our number one source of converts. Because a lot of these churches around the United States no longer teach the Word of God and doctrine, and the Christians are so weak that they don't know what they believe. But Jesus Christ said, not only win them to Christ, but baptize them, but teach them sound doctrine. And notice he says, teach them those people who just believed and got baptized. And notice he teaches them not only this, but one of the, he kind of describes it with this word, observe. This word observe is an amazing word. And even in English, when you think about it, he teaches them to observe. That has the idea of keeping and knowing, believing, everything that Jesus told him, his disciples to do, what we're supposed to be doing, everything, witnessing the whole thing until he comes again. And so he's telling this whole ball of wax, everything I've told you, to observe everything I've commanded you. The book of Acts says that these disciples taught the whole counsel of God. It's why Preacher Kauf preaches the Genesis to Revelation because Jesus says the whole Word of God is the Word of God. It's God's Word, not human words, and therefore it is very, very important. And I could just see the disciples saying, we're dead. There's no way we can do this. I mean, as much help as we've been, we can't do it. And I can just see, I can just picture in my mind, Jesus looks those people in the eye, and he says, like I'm looking at you in the eye, in the mirror, look at me in the eye. He's saying, It ain't going to happen because they're weak. But he has a plan, and his plan works. And Nancy and I put his plan in, into progress in Ukraine because we're weak. And these disciples put the plan into their life because they're weak. And here's what Jesus says And he said, The very next thing he says, And Low, because he knows they need help. That tiny little word, English, in Greek, it do just four little tiny letters. It's a very powerful word. This word means I've got one more thing to say to you, and if you have a half a brain, you better listen up because you're not going to make it unless you hear me. He said, I'm telling you something very important here because he knows they're not going to make it, but he's going to tell them how they can make it and why they will make it. And he says, and low. I am with you. In fact, in Greek, it's even emphatic at the beginning. Jesus is really saying, I myself. Not just in the person of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit will come just days from this. But Jesus says, I myself am with you. Now, when he said that, I bet those disciples began to say, wow, that's powerful. We remember this is the guy that walked on the water. This is the guy who, demons who feared no man. When he came, the Bible says the demons shuddered with fear. He's the man that the wind and the sea obeyed. And now he says, I command you to go and to spread this word around the world and to win people, to baptize them, and teach them. And and he says, and I am going to be with you. I can just see these disciples saying, wow, I think we can do this. This is not above us. It's little tiny people right here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. He's talking to us. We can do this. You would think it could not be stronger. How could it be stronger? It is stronger. Look at this. Jesus says, I am myself and with you always. Can you imagine? Always. I'll never forget when we went through, Nancy and I went through a couple years ago actually now, uh, Wendy's, drive up window, we were here in furlough and we went through, uh, I like how that sign up there said that we're on sabbatical. But actually, what I mean, not sabbatical, but we're on furlough. By the way, I should also tell you guys, just as a side note, Tanya's had some rough time and her passport, she's, she's on parole. <laughs> but don't worry she's not in prison. That's why they count people from Homeland Security to come here. But anyway, these people, can you imagine these disciples? They said, Jesus said to them, I am with you always. When we drove up through the window of Wendy's, we got our food and gave the money and all that, and I gave the lady a gospel track. And she was not in a good mood that day, and she said some cuss words back at me and threw it back at me. And you know what? It didn't hurt me none. Because I can remember, I can remember back uh, when I was a young man, and I was a born-again Christian. I went to Key West Florida for, ter- for nuclear and for torpedo in school uh, in Key West Florida for the submarine service when I was a young man, even before I met Nancy, believe it or not. And I can still remember I was walking along the beach one day because I had to wait for three, four months to start my school because it, th- it was about this time, Thanksgiving, and they couldn't start a class for Thanksgiving and New Year's and all that. And I was walking on the beach at Key West Florida. It was cold here, but it was very warm there. And there wasn't a person within a mile. And I saw this little tiny piece of paper, and I picked it up. And it was a gospel tract. And it was about God's simple plan of salvation. Now, what was interesting to me, I knew that I was a born again. But in the military, I, had, I was away from my parents and away from the leaders. And I got a chance to drift a little bit and didn't do any bit, bad things or whatever, anything like that. That just it was kind of coasting. But the Bible says if you coast, because of the second law of thermodynamics and entropy, you can only coast downhill. But Jesus had another plan for me, and I pulled that thing out, and when I read that simple gospel tract, somebody had probably tried to do evangelism. Some guy cussed and threw it away. It got buried in the sand. I found it. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. I fell on my knees, gave my life to Christ 55, well, about 52 years ago, and I've never uh, had a day since then I didn't want to serve him. Some days I've served Ron Minta, not Jesus Christ, because I'm a sinner just like you are. We're all sinners saved by grace, and I can guarantee you none of us are going to be perfect in this life. But the point is, that gospel tract, God used that simple tool like that to change my whole life. So we should be a witness in however God enables us to do it, to our neighbors, bring people, give them a document, whatever. Because Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always. In your life, there's never going to be a time when you can do anything for Jesus Christ, but he's not right there with you, I guarantee forever. And I can see the disciples right now saying, give me the water gun. We're ready to go take on hell. Squirt hell with a water gun. But first Jesus says, I'm going to make it even stronger. Not only always, even to the end of time, even to the end of the age. That means until the rapture comes, until Jesus comes back again, which it hasn't happened because we're still right here. And that means that this promise is still true for us. And it means that Jesus Christ is making the promise to you And everybody in the church, every born-again person, to say that if you're willing to do what I told you to do, don't worry. I know you're strong, but I, I mean, you're weak, but I'm strong. I tell you what, one of the greatest things that Christians can learn is that just because I'm weak doesn't mean I can't serve God. It means that I can serve God, because when we acknowledge that we're weak, just like that one song, we acknowledge who He is, we acknowledge that we serve not only the strong one, the strongest one who has ever lived. And when he's on our side, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? I would like to sit close with just one little illustration of it from Matthew. In the first chapter, Angel Gabriel came down, and we're talking about it uh, this time of year, during getting close to Christmas. The angel Gabriel said, Messiah is coming, God in the flesh, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Who could tell me what does it mean? That's right, Emmanuel. Can you imagine in Matthew chapter one? Matthew starts out his book and saying, Don't worry, you Christian believers, God is with us. That's Emmanuel. And in the middle of this book, Jesus appeared to, to some disciples, and he said, Where there are two or three are gathered in my name, guess what? I'm right there with you. And at the end of Matthew, he closes with the strongest statement in the whole Bible where Jesus promised that in your whole Christian life I've given you a lot of work to do, but it's going to be fun doing it because even though there's hard times. By the way, he never, gave, he never promises easy. He never promises death. He never promises anything. I mean, look what they did to him. Whatever happens to our life for Jesus Christ, that's because he lets it happen. We, our purpose is not to wonder how long we're going to live in this life and how easy it's going to be. Our purpose is to say, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm only going to be able to do that because you're right here helping me. And so Matthew ends his book by that strong, extreme explanation that Jesus said, I want you to do this, and I am with you always. And we can take that promise to the bank. There's a lot of stuff that people promise you in this life, and it won't happen. If you've lived very long, you've been disappointed by people's promise. You will never be disappointed by this promise. I'm going to close in prayer and turn it over to the elder. But when I pray, I would like for you to pray in your heart and ask Jesus to let you be one of his strong disciples.